0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. All this week for Black History Month, we've been bringing you old conversations from our archives. This time, we've got Octavia Butler, the author of multiple sci-fi classics. We've got Kindred, Fledgling, Parable of the Sower, and Parable of the Talents, and more. She's a master at speculative fiction, at imagining what a different world could look like. Which is why it makes sense that back in 2001, NPR asked her to write an essay on a world without racism. So we're going to switch it up a bit today and hear Butler talking to NPR's Scott Simon about her essay. I should say it's not a particularly happy or soothing essay. It goes, tolerance, like any aspect of peace, is forever a work in progress, never completed. But as you hear when she reads the last line, it is kind of a hopeful one. As it begins this weekend in Durban, South Africa, the UN Racism Conference got us thinking, how would human beings know where they stood? if racism just vanished. In short, imagine a world without racism. We took this notion to writer Octavia Butler. She has spent her career speculating about the future of the human species and our possible counterparts elsewhere in this universe. She has won every major science fiction award, as well as a MacArthur Fellowship, what they call the Genius Grant. We asked Octavia Butler to imagine a world without racism, and like her stories, the results both surprised and disturbed us. Her essay is posted on our website at npr.org. Octavia Butler joins us from the studios of member station KUOW in Seattle, Washington. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you. And you concluded that utter, absolute empathy might be something to try. But your conclusions about that—how how that would work—were surprising.
1: I think sometimes we'll we'll get an idea and we'll think how wonderful it is until we begin to try to live with it for a while. And, and that's that's the way I write. I try to live in the worlds I create for a little while. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, I think that would be a very
0: difficult world to live in. Maybe we should get you to explain how absolute empathy would work in the world.
1: Well, everyone would feel everyone else's pain and everyone else's pleasure. So it would be very difficult for you to hurt someone unless you were willing to accept that pain yourself.
0: And maybe I can get you to read a few lines from the essay now. You, you wound up sure. thinking that there are some practical drawbacks to what sounds like an awfully beguiling proposition.
1: Mm-hmm. In my novel, unavoidable empathy worked fine as an affliction. But popular, painful sports like boxing and football convinced me that the threat of shared pain wouldn't necessarily make people behave better toward one another. And it might cause trouble. For instance, it might stop people from entering the healthcare professions. Nursing could become very unpopular. And who would want to be a dentist in such a society?
0: A journalist? (laughs) Oh, no. Well, that's something we think about here. What is hypothetically removed if we could somehow remove at least a, a racist and xenophobic tint from our eyes?
1: A lot of our competitiveness might be removed, and that would make us
0: a very different people. You, you you say it at one point that you've reluctantly concluded that we um as a species kind of enjoy feeling superior to somebody for some reason.
1: There was even a commercial about that recently that has someone
0: saying, I'm better than you are. I think it was a car commercial or something like that. I think that, so. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cars might be a commodity that are particularly vulnerable to that, aren't they?
1: I think anything that's for public display as well as private use can be vulnerable to that. Such as? Oh, well, a house, for instance, where you live and how your house looks, mm-hmm. whether your lawn is greener than your neighbor's. I mean, we actually compete in that ridiculous way. It's probably one of the safer competitions. At least we don't hurt each other.
0: From the artist's point of view, would a world without this kind of racial division be a little bit more challenging to write about? Let me put it nicely. Yes, it would be boring. I guess we found that out through if, modern literature. If it's possible, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I almost. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but so many portrayals we see in literature of some kind of utopia, you spend the first twenty-five percent of the book thinking, "Well, this is nice," and but then the rest is the the protagonist realizing this is not utopia. This is this is some kind of a happy, benign tyranny. It's not. It's this is. There's nothing fun about mm-hmm. this at all.
1: I think the problem with utopia and literature is, in literature, there needs to be conflict. And in utopia, there shouldn't be. I don't think human beings can live without some sort of conflict. Not that we enjoy it particularly, mm-hmm. but I think it is inevitable.
0: Does your study of our species suggest that if we, um, if we weren't rivalrous about ethnicity, skin color, we would choose something else? We always have.
1: In areas where everyone is the same color— the same religion, the same language, whatever, they find other things to beat each other up about. And what does it say about us? That we are a, a sadly hierarchical species, and the hierarchical tendencies that we have do seem to be old and more likely to dominate our intelligence, so that we use our intelligence for
0: silly purposes sometimes, or and-
1: dangerous purposes.
0: And is there something that we can concentrate on that makes this a less uh, ugly place? I think this conference in South Africa is
1: certainly headed in the right direction. I think as long as we can talk about it, negotiate about it, we will perhaps be less likely to fight about it.
0: I notice in your essay, which I would encourage people to to go to our website and read, you use a, a word which... Kind of surprised me. Tolerance.
1: I used to dislike it very much, because I thought how terrible that we should only tolerate each other. Yeah. And finally, I I realized that to tolerate someone is basically to let them alone, mm-hmm. and to let them live their own lives. And 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 that is um. That is a very precious commodity. the the, the right to be let alone. The right to be allowed to live your own life.
0: Worship your own god. Just basically be who you are. There are a lot of people, I think, who would like to think that that tolerance is a self-rewarding virtue, that the motive to be tolerant is that in the end we will deliver ourselves a better society. And you seem to suggest that the, the, the moral math is not that easy. It isn't just because we
1: can't depend on other people to be equally tolerant, My example was some way back in the schoolyard, school bullies. I mean, no matter how tolerant you may be, they aren't. And um, your being tolerant won't stop them from tackling you if that's what they want to do. But I think most people can get along together by being tolerant.
0: Is there another part of the essay you'd like to read for us? Well,
1: maybe the last bit. Fine with me. Back in the early 1960s, there was a United Nations television commercial, the audio portion of which went something like this. Ignorance, fear, disease, hunger, suspicion, hatred, war. That was it, although I would have added greed and vengeance to the list. All or any of these can be the catalysts that turn hierarchical thinking into hierarchical behavior. Amid all this, does tolerance have a chance? Only if we want it to, only when we want it to. Tolerance, like any aspect of peace, is forever a work in progress, never completed, and if we're as intelligent as we think,
0: never abandoned. Ms. Butler, thanks very much. Thank you. Octavia Butler's most recent novel is Parable of the Talents. Our thanks to member station KUOW in Seattle.